Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. This is the last installment in my three-part series on communication. And today I offer my thoughts about the pros and cons of disseminating information about your separation to the outside world, speaking about it, posting about it on social media. For many people, the end of a relationship marks a fundamental change in their lives. In practical terms, it may mean relocation to a new residence, the sale of a cottage, taking on a job after a period of absence from the workforce, perhaps upgrading skills by taking some courses. In previous episodes, I've talked at length about the emotional and psychological pressures that come with separation. I won't belabor them here. They are real and they can be profound. Many people cope with this time in their lives by sharing. Sharing their feelings, their circumstances, their frustration, grief, disappointment. This is very natural and very human. This instinct to include others, to commiserate, receive support, perhaps advice. I devoted a whole episode to mighty supportive relationships. It dropped on September 18th, 2020. If you are interested in this topic, have a listen. For some people, separation is a very personal, private experience. They do not share information about it. In fact, for years, literally, their co-workers might not even know of the separation. If your ex is such an individual, remember that when you share, you are impacting their right to privacy. Something to consider. So... With whom do people share information about their separation? How do they do it? What content do they actually share? I will tackle these questions in turn and offer some thoughts and cautions. Takeaway number one for today. Once you ring a bell, you cannot unring it. 
To put it another way, you cannot unscramble eggs. Here is what I mean. Once you put information out there, once you make a statement verbally or in writing, you cannot take it back. Well, you can try. Of course you can. But the fact that you made the statement, put out the information out in the first place, will have some weight and conclusions may be drawn on that basis. Here is an example to illustrate my point. You post on Twitter, which is a public forum, allegations that your husband is cheating with Mary Smith. I realize you were very upset when you tweeted that, but it's out there now. A few people have interacted with the post, retweeted it. Two hours later, you delete the tweet, but your allegation has spread like wildfire. You ring the bell. Unringing it now is virtually impossible. You made a statement about someone in the public sphere which might potentially affect the public's view of that person. And this can have serious consequences. This basic takeaway number one about ringing bells or unscrambling eggs must inform a consideration of all the questions I posed earlier. To recap, with whom do you share information about the separation? How? And what actual content do you share? Because once you do it, there may be no going back. I am not discouraging people from seeking support from friends, family, professionals to help them cope with separation. I am not. That is not the point I'm making. My strong suggestion is that you consider carefully, give some thought to what you're going to disclose to whom and how. Here is another practical example. You are angry about the separation and you have decided that the best way to punish your spouse is to hit him where you believe it really hurts, money. So you tell a co-worker that you have a plan. On your financial statement, you will not disclose a savings account into which you have been depositing funds here and there from the monthly sum your husband has been giving you to run the household. There is now $30,000 in that account. Your coworker smiles and nods as you are sharing your plan with her, but in fact, she's horrified. She does not like being put in this position. And besides, she met your husband at the firm barbecue, and he seemed really nice, handsome, in fact. Two days after what you thought was a chat between just the two of you, she passes the information on to your husband. I'm sure you're getting my point by now. So, takeaway number two. It is very important that you give some thought to your audience in whom you are confiding, to whom you are providing information, which once you disclose it, you may not be able to take back. Is it your best friend? Is it a member of your family? Is your audience people you can trust? Not just today, but in the longer run? 
Is it the public? And here I'm not talking about statements you may have to make in the context of a court case, in an affidavit, for example, or documents you may need to produce as paper evidence. Separate considerations apply to those situations. I'm talking about your anger posting on social media or sending a letter to each member of your soccer club alleging that Mary Smith is your wife's mistress. Are you sharing the details of your separation with one person, with multiple people? The wider the net you cast, the more risk you take on that someone will break ranks, so to speak, and break your confidence. We have segued into the second question, and that is how. It's particularly difficult to unring a bell if you put something in writing. Those letters sent to the soccer club by the angry husband may be a piece of evidence against him. But remember, the spoken word is evidence too. In my example about the savings account, which you want to keep secret, if you send your coworker an email about it, you may have a real problem if she then flips this email to your husband. But if you simply whisper the plot to her over lunch, you may still have a problem. She can tell your husband about it and then swear an affidavit about your conversation. Yes, we have all heard about the battle of he said, she said. But just because you deny ever sharing this plot with your coworker does not mean a judge will automatically believe you and not her. A denial is not always enough. A family court judge or an arbitrator, if you are in that process, will assess your credibility and your co-worker's credibility and make a decision. Who is more believable here in the overall circumstances? Who has more to gain? Who has more to lose? Next question. What is your goal when you share the details of your separation? Your take on the reason for the breakdown of your relationship, for example. Is it to seek support from your audience, your best friend, for example, which is perfectly human and natural? Perhaps you want some advice from this best friend on how to handle a step in your case or to make a decision. Or is it to cause pain to your ex, perhaps the kind of pain you are feeling yourself is causing damage to their reputation, one of your goals. What I say here is this, be careful what you wish for. When you are emotional, sad, upset, angry, you may not fully appreciate the potential consequences of your communication to others, but also to you. Many years ago, I had a case in which there was a spousal support review provision in a separation agreement. In other words, the parties were to consider five years after the agreement was signed, whether spousal support should continue to be paid. 
for the purposes of that review, whether the ex-wife was now cohabiting with someone else, not dating but cohabiting, was relevant. The ex-wife denied cohabiting with her boyfriend in the context of the review, but she was representing something completely different on her Facebook page, which she left public. Two years before the review, she posted an announcement that she and her boyfriend were moving in together, followed by photos over the next two years of their happy home life. My client relied on this evidence, and her inconsistent statements worked against her. So your takeaway number three for today might be the following. Consider how you are sharing information about your separation, how you are communicating about it in person, in writing, in the public sphere, not only on social media, but also posting on the internet in general. Let's talk about content. I have touched on some points I want to make here already, but let me flesh this out a little. That man who sent a letter to all members of his soccer club, not ideal from my perspective under any circumstances, but I can imagine the letter having really problematic content or slightly better content. Here's version one of the letter. Quote, I am sad to announce that Sarah and I have separated. You won't be seeing her at our practices and matches anymore. Your support would be appreciated, but I ask that you respect my privacy and not ask questions, close quote. Version two of the letter, quote, 2021 could not be any worse for me. I just found out Sarah has been cheating on me with Mary Smith. Our marriage is over. I am devastated. I have no intention of making this easy for Sarah. I will fight for what is right, close quote. I am confident you don't need much editorial from me. Again, if this man were my client, I would prefer he did not send either of the letters, but definitely not version two. Highly problematic for a number of reasons. Telling your kids school about the separation is important from my perspective. Your lawyer may have a specific reason not to do that based on the facts of your case. So get their advice on this point. But generally speaking, the school should know, if nothing else, so that particular attention is paid to the kid's demeanor, behaviors, performance, as they are adjusting to the separation. There are different ways of letting the school know, some better, some outright problematic. Here is an example of a communication deserving a thumbs up. Parent goes to school for a regular pickup at the end of the school day, comes a few minutes early, visits the school office, speaks to the principal briefly and says, wanted to let you know Johnny's mom or dad, as the case may be, and I are separated. We would appreciate your sharing the information with his teacher and keeping an eye on him as he is adjusting to the news and the new arrangements. 
Here is a bad way to do this. You are going to hear sooner or later because the community will soon be talking about it, but I wanted to be the first to let you know. Sarah has been cheating on me with Mary Smith and the marriage is over. I'm going to fight for soul custody and I hope you will help me. I have to protect Johnny from such immorality. This is a minefield. So many potential problems with that statement. I would be taking advantage of it if Sarah or even Mary were my clients. So takeaway number three, what you communicate matters. I'd like to spend a few minutes on solicitor-client privilege. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I try very hard to avoid legal jargon. So let me explain this further for those who are not yet familiar with this phrase. Your communications with your lawyer are confidential. Your lawyer is bound by this confidentiality for the rest of his or her life. So this means they're not allowed to divulge any information you shared with them, unless they have your consent, after your case is over. This confidentiality is fundamentally important to your relationship with your lawyer, to their ability to act on your behalf, give you advice, and take your instructions. But there are ways you can pierce through that wall of confidentiality, perhaps without realizing you're doing so. Here are two examples. You receive a letter from your lawyer in which she proposes some strategy for handling a particular issue in your case. You then forward that letter to your best friend, Navneet. Hopefully, you and Navneet will be friends forever, but you may not be, and you have now provided her with privileged communication. You will have no control over what she does with this letter in the future. Here's another example, and this is actually quite common. I talked about it at some length in a previous episode about ways to receive help and support uh, when coping with a separation. For reasons which make complete sense from an emotional perspective, people sometimes bring to their meeting with their lawyer, particularly the first meeting, a family member or a friend. They do this because they realize there may be a lot of information, new information coming at them, and they're concerned they may not hear or absorb everything they're learning, and the learning curve is steep. I welcome such support for the client, but caution them privately that they are potentially opening up privileged information, the exchange of privileged information. Because our discussions are no longer just between the client and me, but also include a person who is not my client. The presence of this third person does not relieve me of the obligation to keep what you tell me confidential for the rest of my life. But there is now a third person in the room, and neither you nor I can control 
what they might disclose to the outside world. So these are things to keep in mind, important considerations. If you are thinking of bringing someone to the meeting with you and when making your selection of that person. One last point for today, talking to your kids about separation. This is a subject of particular interest to me, and it should be one considered by each and every separated parent. I have a separate episode in the works on the subject, but I do want to talk about it briefly here as well. Your kids become very vulnerable when their parents' relationship ends in many, many different ways, some of which you may not readily appreciate. They're taking in all kinds of cues during this difficult time for everyone, both verbal and nonverbal, and are processing what is happening around them, not only based on their particular stage of development, but also based on the nature and content of those cues. They are sponges, and what they absorb during this time of change may impact them in profound ways and for a very long time. Think hard before providing your kids with information about the separation. Seek advice from professionals if you truly want to know how to do it right. What you share and how you do it must be viewed from their perspective, through their eyes, not yours, because their needs and interests are at stake here, not yours. Your children are not your best friends. They must not be the audience for your sadness, disappointment, suspicion, or anger at the other parent. That puts them in an impossible position. And the impact of your efforts at involving them in this way may have long-term consequences for them and for you. From my perspective, it goes without saying that children must never read court documents, ever. There is simply no reason for it. They should not read letters between lawyers, and in fact, parents should not discuss with their children what is happening in a court proceeding, for example, or how settlement discussions are evolving. All this must be left to adults so that children have the best opportunities available to them to adjust to their new circumstances, enjoy their developmental milestones, and grow up into healthy, well-adjusted individuals. I hope something you heard today will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.